How many of you are ready for the Word of the Lord this morning? Anybody excited about God's Word? today. Amen. Well, let me let you open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. This has been our foundational scripture. Uh, we've been in a series for this summer. We're going to wrap it up next Sunday, uh, but we've been in a summer series called Kingdom Culture. And in Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, the Bible says this, Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. So repent and believe in the gospel. So we asked this question week one. We said, what is a kingdom culture? We said it's a culture that is defined by the kingdom of God. It is a culture that says we are who God says we are. We have what God says we have. And we can do what God says we can do. A kingdom culture is a language, its values, its beliefs, and its standards that align with God and His kingdom. And that little word align really is a key word. As we've been kind of working through this series this summer, I've just more and more, the more I study it, the more I realize how important it is that we just come into alignment with God. How do I operate in God's kingdom? How do I see the power of God and the presence of God made real in my life, but not just in my life, in the lives of other people? Let me tell you how. I align with Him. I come into a place of alignment. I repent and believe the gospel. And every time I repent and believe, I align with Him. And as I align with Him, I begin to operate in the kingdom. And His presence and His power, His dominion and His grace begins to flow not only into my life, but it begins to flow through my life, touching the heart's and lives of other people. We said there are four expressions of the kingdom of God. We said the kingdom of God is internal, the kingdom of God is spiritual, the kingdom of God is physical, and the kingdom of God is eternal. And over the past few weeks, we've kind of explored and kind of dove into those first three expressions. We said the kingdom of God is internal, which means the Holy Spirit now reigns and rules on the inside, right? The kingdom of God is no longer rules and regulations. It's the internal reigning and ruling of the Holy Spirit within us. Now God is within us. Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. God's reign, God's rule, God's presence, God's power. No longer external rules and restraints. Now the internal empowering of the Holy Spirit. We said the kingdom of God is spiritual. We said that when a person gets born again, John chapter 3, they begin to see the kingdom of God and they begin to enter the kingdom of God. And that through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, we literally step in to the spirit realm. We step into that heavenly realm. We can come boldly before the throne of God's grace and enter into that heavenly realm where God moves and works to change and transform the lives of people. We said last week that the kingdom of God, or two weeks ago, the kingdom of God is physical. We said that that the kingdom of God is physical because the supernatural overrides the natural. And all of a sudden, God releases physical provision through spiritual power, right? God releases physical provision through spiritual power. He multiplies the fish and the loaves and he feeds 5,000. He heals sick bodies. He restores tormented minds. He sets the captives free. And all of a sudden we recognize God's kingdom is internal. God's kingdom is spiritual and God's kingdom is physical. It actually manifests in our lives. It affects every aspect and every element of who we are. And today we're going to see the fact that God's kingdom is eternal. I want you to look with me. In the gospel of Matthew, Matthew 28, 
verse 16 through 20. This is known as the Great Commission. Many of you are going to recognize the last two verses we're going to read are 18 through 20, the last three verses. But I wanted to back up a couple verses. I want you to look at, listen to this. First of all, let me give you some context. Jesus has been crucified. Jesus has resurrected. And Jesus has appeared to the disciples in a glorified body, right? He has, he has appeared in the room, showed them his hands and his feet. They've touched the scars in his hands, and then he's disappeared. He's walking through walls. He's appearing. He's disappearing. He's like, beam me up, Scotty, and he's gone. I mean, it, it's amazing. They've seen him crucified. They've seen him resurrected. And now they've seen him glorified in this amazing body where he's eating and drinking, but yet he's walking through walls and he's disappearing. And now Jesus has told his disciples that he wants to meet them. That's where we're kind of coming in the story. And then the 11 disciples left Galilee going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Look at verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. I'm going to stop right there for just a second. When they saw Jesus, crucified, resurrected, glorified, supernaturally doing all kind of crazy Amazing things. The Bible says they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. And I want to stop right there for a second because I think this is critical. And let me tell you why I think it's critical. I love the word of God because God's word is never intended to condemn us. God's word is always intended to empower us. And the fact that some of these disciples doubted, it encourages me. Let me tell you why it encourages me. Because doubt is normal. Doubt is normal. Let's just be honest in this room here today. If we were to just take a few moments and get some testimonies in this room, just like Dahlia, as we heard this morning, there are some amazing testimonies in this room. And the truth is, if you've been serving Christ for any amount of time, you've seen God show up and show out in your life over and over and over and over again. Let's be honest, right? We've seen God show up and show out, show up and show out, show up and show out. But let's also be honest. There are still times in our lives today, even after all that God has done, there are still times when we face problems and difficulties and challenges and we wonder, I know God did heal, but will he heal? I know God can provide, but will he provide? I know God did show up, but will he show up again? In my life. Let's be honest, we've all seen God do amazing things, and we've all also stood and faced those problems and challenges, and we've all, just like the 11 disciples, we've doubted. And doubt is normal, and doubt is natural. And doubt, there, there's two options we have with doubt. Let me talk to him about that real quick. The first option you have with doubt is you can allow doubt to cause you to pull away from God. And if you allow doubt to cause you to pull away from God, what will happen is you'll step back into a place called unbelief. And when you allow doubt to cause you to pull away from God and step into a place of unbelief, it's a dangerous place to be. Why? Because when you step into a place of unbelief, the Bible actually calls an unbelieving heart an evil heart. And it's an evil heart and it's an unbelieving heart. You know why? Because it cannot receive the good things that God has for it. When you're in a place of unbelief, you can't receive God's favor. You can't receive God's love. You can't receive God's grace. You can't experience the good things God has for you. Why? Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. And they that come to God have to believe that he is. And if I allow doubt to cause me to pull away and move to a place of unbelief, then I will disconnect and cut myself off from the very thing I need more than anything. But there's an alternative. I don't have to allow doubt to cause me to pull away. I can allow doubt to cause me to draw near. And I can actually bring my doubts to God. 
I can, I can press in to the presence of God, and I can say, God, I know what you have done, but I'm struggling with what you're going to do. Lord, I've seen your presence here, and I've experienced your power here, but God, I've never faced this before, and I'm just going to draw near. I'm going to bring my doubts into the presence of God. And you know what happens when you bring your doubts into God's presence? They become faith. <laughs> Doubt becomes faith when you press in. Doubt becomes unbelief when you pull away. And again, let's just be honest, we've all done both. If you've been serving Jesus for any amount of time, you've had doubts, and there have been times you kind of pulled away. And you stepped into a place of unbelief, and you kind of disqualified yourself from receiving or experiencing the good things that God had. And you had all these reasons why God could not do the things that he said he could do in your life because there was something unique or special about you that somehow disqualified you. And the only thing that disqualified you was unbelief. But when you flip the coin, we've all experienced the other, right? We've all had those moments where we doubted and we pressed into God. And we took those doubts and those concerns and those questions and that anxiety and that fear and we brought it in the presence of God and we said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief, right? Lord, I, I trust you, but I don't know how this is going to work out. And we've all seen God take our doubts and our questions and our fears and our anxiety and turn it into a spirit of faith. That before it was all over with, we were standing in confidence knowing that God was going to do what God said he would do because he is God. And so let me just encourage you today. If you're struggling with doubt, do not allow the devil to condemn you. But also do not allow the devil to cause you to pull away. If you've got doubts today about God, about life, about anything, just press in and take those doubts before the King of Kings. And God will take your doubt and he'll turn it into a spirit of faith. Amen. And he'll give you the grace to press on. All right, look at that next verse. This is where we're going today. Verse 18. And Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given authority in heaven and on where? I've been given authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of of the age. So look at that first point. The kingdom of God is eternal. Jesus reestablished the kingdom of God on earth as in heaven. He is King Jesus, and all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto him. Jesus, what did Jesus do when he came as a man? Jesus reestablished the kingdom of God on earth as in heaven. He reclaimed what Adam lost. How many of you remember in Genesis chapter 1 when God created male and female, Adam and Eve? You know what God said to them? He said, I want you to subdue the earth and have dominion over it. You know what God gave to Adam and Eve? He gave them dominion and authority to rule and reign on the earth. God's original intent was that his kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth through mankind. That Adam and Eve would be the vehicles and the vessels through which God's good kingdom in heaven would be manifested on earth. But the Bible tells us that Adam and Eve sinned. And the Bible says that when you sin, you become a slave to whomever you obey. And all of a sudden, Adam and Eve did something. You know what Adam and Eve? Adam and Eve forfeited their authority and dominion. And Satan became the prince of the power of the air. 
And the principalities and powers of darkness began to rule and to reign in our earth to such a degree that the Apostle John says that the entire world lies under the sway of the evil one. It is not hard to look at our world today and recognize that it is being ruled by the kingdom of darkness. Everywhere there is death and there is murder and there is abuse and there is trauma and there is rape and there is molestation. Everywhere that there is chaos and there is confusion. Everywhere that there is hate and there is evil and there is bitterness and there is resentment and there is decision and there is discord. That is the kingdom of darkness. And that's not the kingdom of God. So Jesus came not just to save us so that one day we could go to heaven. Jesus came to reestablish on earth the kingdom of God into the hearts and lives of men so that we could be ambassadors for Christ, so that we could no longer be slaves to sin, but now we're sons and daughters of God, heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ, those who now rule and reign with him on earth as he rules and reigns in heaven. Can I get an amen? Amen. Listen to the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Listen to what Paul says. He says, so you see that just as death came into the world through a man, that was Adam. Now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. And just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. And there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. And after that, the end will come and he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler, every authority, every power. Look at verse 25. For Christ must reign until he humbles all enemies beneath his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Natural, carnal, physical death will be the last enemy that Jesus will destroy. And he will reign until he has destroyed every enemy and every power and every authority of darkness. And he will turn the kingdom back over to God the Father who will establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. So what Adam lost, Jesus reclaimed. What Adam forfeited through sin, Jesus reestablished through faith and obedience to the Father, being obedient, the Bible says, even unto death. Now I want you to look with me in Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to look at some, what I just want to call some Christmas verses this morning. And they're Christmas verses because we always use them at Christmas. And you've probably read these verses. You've probably seen them on a Christmas card. You've probably sent them on a Christmas card. And this morning I want us to look at these Christmas verses with a whole new lens of life. I want us to look at these verses through the lens of the kingdom of God. And I want us to hear what the Bible says. Isaiah chapter 9, listen to what it says, verse 6. You guys will know this verse. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. Y'all ever heard that at Christmas time? Unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is born. And that is a prophetic declaration of Christ because that's what happened. Unto us a child is born. Jesus became a man. And unto us a son is given. God sent his son to be born of a virgin so that the spirit and the flesh could come back in unison together so that the kingdom of heaven could come to earth and Jesus through his perfect life, through his sinless death, and through his resurrection power could reclaim and reestablish the kingdom in earth as it is in heaven. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Now look at this next part. And the what? What's that word? And the government will be upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's on all the Christmas cards. Look at verse 7. 
and of the increase of his what? And peace there shall be no end. And upon the what? Throne of David and over his what? Kingdom. He shall order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. Jesus was not only born to redeem us, but Jesus was born to reestablish on earth the kingdom of God. And the government will be upon his shoulders. And the increase of his government, the Bible says, there will be no end. You know what Jesus was doing? He was coming to reestablish on earth, as in heaven, the kingdom of God. God's domain and God's dominion. God's power and God's presence. God's peace and God's rule. God's justice and God's righteousness reestablished on earth through those who would be born again his kingdom would come and his will would be done look with me in Luke chapter 1 another Christmas verse it says and the angel said to her do not be afraid Mary for you have found favor with God and behold you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus and he will be great and he will be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the what throne of his father David, and he will what? Reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his what? There will be no end. Do you see that Jesus came to establish the kingdom? Do you see that Jesus came to reestablish on earth what Adam lost through sin and rebellion? Do you see that God through Christ was bringing the governmental authority and the power and the presence of God so that righteousness, peace, and joy could reign in the hearts and lives of men even though we live in a world still stained by sin, the presence of God and the power of God and the dominion of God could come so that his will could be done on earth. As it is in heaven. So look at that next point. So the kingdom of God is eternal. It has no end. And what was established through Jesus is increasing through us. This is powerful. What was established through Jesus is increasing through us. The Bible says of the increase of his government, there shall be no end. What Jesus reestablished and began, we get to finish to a degree. We don't finish it, but we get to be a part of it. He will finish it, and we're going to read that in just a minute. But we get to be a part of the increase of his government. Do you realize that every time a soul is saved, the kingdom of God advances? Yesterday, 58 people got born again. You know what happened yesterday? 58 people entered the kingdom of God. 58 people came out of darkness into light. 58 families were transformed. 58 children and adults and young people were entered into the kingdom of God. 58 families experienced the glory of God in a way that they've never experienced it before. And the kingdom of God came. And you know what happened? We drove back the darkness. And the kingdom increased. Every time a disciple is made, every time somebody is trained and taught in the Word of God, every time somebody learns how to walk out their freedom, every time somebody learns how to apply the truth of Scripture to their life, every time somebody unlocks and taps in to the, to the revelation of who Jesus is and how Jesus is intended to impact every aspect of our lives, every time that happens, every time a stronghold is broken, every time a tumor in your brain is healed, every time an addict, an addict gets set free, every time a marriage gets restored, every time a generational curse is broken, every time families are reunited, you know what happens the kingdom of God increases 
Because of the increase of his government, there shall be no end. And we get to be a part of it. When Jesus commissioned the disciples, he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Therefore, go. He was empowering them. He was sending them. Jesus actually said, As the Father sent me, so I send you to go into all the world. Look at the rest of that statement. The church, I want you to hear this today. This is huge. The church is not holding on until Jesus comes again. We are taking back what the enemy has stolen. Right? We're not in survival mode. We're not holding on. We're not hiding. We're not locking the church doors hoping the world don't get us. Man, we have been commissioned by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We have been empowered by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And we have been sent to go into all the world, to literally go to our world, to go home to our family, to go to our city, to go to our street, to go to our school, to go to our workplace and take the gospel of the kingdom. Man, we're not holding on. We're taking over. You know what we did yesterday? We took over 58 families. 58 families. I love the story. There's, there's one of our NRP pastors. His name is Brother Carl Catanata. Brother Carl is in his late 80s now. Brother Carl tells a story of how he was the first person in his entire family to come to Christ and get born again. And then as he begins to tell that story, now 60, 70 years later, he talks about how that through his salvation, his mom got saved. And his dad got saved. And his brother got saved. And his sisters got saved. And his nieces got saved. And his nephews got saved. And his wife got saved. And their kids were raised in Christ. And their grandkids were raised in Christ. And their great-grandkids are raised in Christ. And now there's a ripple effect that's going out generation after generation after generation. Why? Because the kingdom of God is ever-increasing. And one soul... One soul changes everything. One soul changes everything. And we're not just holding on, guys. We're taking over. We're taking back. Listen to what the Bible says. Mark, Matthew chapter 11, verse 12, the Bible says this. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. The violent take it by force. And let me tell you what he's not talking about. He's not talking about guns and ammunition. We're not fighting for property and places or position or power. We're fighting for souls. We're going to read in just a minute that one day everything you see is going to be destroyed. Why in the world do you want to fight for something that ain't going to last forever? Why in the world do you want to fight for a piece of property or for provision or for natural things that are one day going to be gone? You know what? The only thing that's going to last forever, eternal souls. See, there was a time when Jesus was trying to go through Samaria and the Samaritans wouldn't let him come through because he was a Jew. And you know what Jesus' disciples said to him? They said, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven like Elijah and destroy these heathens? You know what Jesus did? He didn't say break out the AK-47s. He rebuked them. And he said, you don't know what kind of spirit you're of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but that men might be saved. Let me tell you something. Every time somebody, every time somebody dies without Christ, we lost a piece of the battle. Every 
every time somebody dies without Christ, we lost a piece of the battle. And that may not mean a lot to you unless it's your son or your daughter. But it should. It should matter to me and you. That person on your job that you can't stand and you pray that God will remove them is the very person God wants to save and set free. And if you don't tell them about Jesus, who in the world is going to? We're fighting for souls. And the violent, the forceful, those who are willing to press in, they're not, they're not holding on, they're not pulling back. They're pushing forward because they believe and know that we're a part of an ever-increasing kingdom that will not end. Look at that next point. The kingdom of God has come, and the kingdom of God will come, and the kingdom of God will overcome. But souls must be saved and lives must be redeemed. From the kingdom of darkness. I, I was praying just this morning, and, and the Lord said this to me. There's, there's always a scripture in the gospel of Luke that, I, that I've wrestled with. I don't know that I ever understood it till this morning. I've quoted it and preached it a thousand times, but I don't think I ever understood it till this morning. Jesus looks at the, 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 the multitudes, and he tells his disciples this. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So pray ye therefore to the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into the harvest field. I always thought that would have sounded better if he would have said the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So pray for the people that are lost to have eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to receive the good news of the gospel. He didn't say that. I believe we all pray that way. Kelly and I pray that way, by the way, for people that don't know the Lord. But he said the key to the harvest is laborers. And then he said this to me this morning. He said, Keith, the harvest doesn't come in. The harvest has to be brought in. If you're a farmer, you know this. The harvest doesn't pick itself and come in the house. You grow it, you plant it, you cultivate it, you water it, you tend to it, you care for it, and then guess what happens? you got to bring in the harvest. And if you don't bring in the harvest, it'll die on the vine. And Jesus said, pray for laborers. Why? Because the only way the harvest comes is we got to bring them in. And let me tell you the, the challenge of the church. The church looks at the world and says, well, they need to come in. But God looks at the church and he says, you got to bring it in. So let me ask you a question. Who are you bringing in? Who are you bringing in? Well, Pastor Keith, I've been saved for 30 years. I don't even know any lost people. Well, change that. I'm going to the gym right now. I mean, I'm going to a gym with the worst cussing guy I've ever met in my life. And I've started praying for him. He's going to be my best friend for it's over with. He's going to love Jesus. I'm just telling you. He's going to love you. He cussed the pain off the wall. But before it's done, he's going to love Jesus. I'm going to bring him in. I'm going to bring him in. You know why? Because Jesus died for that man. And he commissioned me. And he commissioned you to be a soul-winning, disciple-making, devil-stomping Christian that recognizes we're not fighting for the things of this world. We're fighting for the souls of men. Hebrews 12. 
It says, when God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. But now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but also the, heaven, but the heavens also. This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. And since we're receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Let me tell you something. The kingdom of darkness will be destroyed. The kingdoms of this world will be shaken and they will fall. And the kingdom of God will prevail. The kingdom of, all, of God will prevail. Listen to Revelations 11 verse 15. And then the seventh angel blew his trumpet. And there were loud voices shouting in heaven, The world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he will reign forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. One day everything's going to be shaken. And it's all going to be consumed by fire. Let me give you our last point. I want you to hear this today. I want to make a statement maybe you've never thought about. So the kingdom of God is an all-consuming fire. And everyone, believer and non-believer, will be tried by fire. Everyone will be tried by fire. In Matthew 3 verse 11, John the Baptist says this of Jesus. He said, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. See, we read that scripture, you know what we do? We look at somebody that's really excited about Jesus, and we say they're on fire for God, and that might be true. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the fact that one day every person, believer and non-believer, is going to be baptized by the fire of God. Our God is an all-consuming fire that consumes any and everything that is not of Him, for Him, and by Him. And one day, every one of us will be tried by the fire of God. Listen to how Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians 3, he's talking about Christians. He's talking about believers. He's talking about those of us who've accepted Jesus Christ. We've been born again in the kingdom. But listen to what he says. He says, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, or wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will be clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by what? And the fire, listen to what the Bible says, will test each one's work of what sort it is. And if anyone's work which has been built on it endures, he receives a reward. But if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved yet as through fire. This is what Paul says to the Christians. It's called the judgment seat of Christ where every born-again believer will stand before God and will be baptized with a purifying fire. The fire of God will try the works that we have. And the Bible says that everything that's wood, hay, or stubble, the things that we did that were carnal, that were selfish, that were sinful, all those things will be burned by that fire. The purifying fire of God will consume all those things. 
But those things that are, that are gold or silver, precious stones, those things that have eternal value. How many of you understand Jesus said this? He said, as you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. When you give a backpack to a kid that don't have one, you just gave a backpack to Jesus. When you feed the hungry, you just fed Jesus. When you clothe the naked, you just clothed Jesus. When you visit the sick and those that are in prison, you just visited Jesus. Jesus said, as you do it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. And here's the good news of the gospel. Everything we do in his name out of a heart of faith to love and serve others in the mighty name of Jesus is gold, silver, and precious stone. And I want you to hear me today. God does not baptize believers in fire so he can condemn us. God baptizes believers in fire. Listen to what the Bible said. So that he can reward us for the good things that we did. The Bible says God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God wants to give you not a temporal. God wants to give you an eternal reward for the way you've lived your life on earth to honor God. And glorify him. And then the Bible says this if you're born again, the works that are consumed, yes, will suffer loss. We'll recognize I spent weeks, months, maybe even years of my Christian life doing the wrong thing, sowing into my flesh, following sin, allowing lust and pride and envy to deceive me and destroy me. And the Bible says that if I'm born again, those works will be consumed by fire. But I myself will be saved. You know why? Because the fire will reveal the seed of God's Spirit in you. That you've been born again as a son or a daughter of God. But then the Bible says not only will the church, the Christians be baptized in fire, but every person, those who don't believe will be baptized in fire. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. It says, and God will provide rest for you who are being persecuted. He's talking to the church, to believers. And also for us, when the Lord Jesus appears from heaven, he will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire. Listen to this. In flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who do not know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they will be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. Revelations tells us that one day there's a great white throne judgment where every one that is lost, every person that has denied Christ and rejected Christ will be judged with eternal fire. Revelations, let's read that together. Revelations chapter 20, verse 12 through 15. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, according to the books. And the sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead, and they were all judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death, and anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Here's the revelation. Everybody will be baptized in fire. Here's the question. Are you going to be baptized in the purifying fire of God? that produces eternal reward? Or are you going to be baptized in the fire of judgment that produces death and eternal separation from God? Jesus died and rose again so that you could escape the fire of judgment and so that we could be purified by fire and have an eternal reward with Him forever and ever and ever in heaven. Let's bow our heads today. I want to ask our prayer teams, if they would, just to come to the front.
And maybe you're here this morning and maybe you're a believer, you're a Christian, you know that you know that you know that if you were to die right now, you would spend eternity with God in heaven. But maybe you also realized, man, there's some works that won't remain. The Bible says this. The Bible says some men's sins go before them to judgment and some men's sins follow them to judgment. Here's the good news of the gospel. I can confess my sin right now. And instead of being consumed by the fire, it can be placed under the blood. And God can redeem every moment that I have left in my life. And God can help me to begin to live every day for Him. And begin to live a life that produces an eternal reward instead of eternal judgment. And if you're here this morning and maybe you know you're a Christian, you know you're saved, you know you're going to heaven, but maybe you just want somebody to pray with you today. Maybe there's a struggle. Maybe there's a doubt. Maybe there's something you're wrestling with right now in your own heart and you just want somebody to pray with you in prayer this morning. Our prayer team is available right now. You can come. You can slip out of your chair. You can come to the altar. They'd love to pray with you. If you just want to kneel and do business with God by yourself, you can do that also. But we would love to pray with you this morning. So the altar's open. The second thing, and maybe the most critical thing we're going to do today is if you're here this morning, you say, you know what, Pastor Keith? I don't know where I'm going to spend eternity. And if I were to die right now and stand before God, I'm afraid that I would face the fire of judgment because I've resisted God. I've kind of done my own thing. I've kind of walked my own path. And I've never really surrendered my life to Christ. But I want to do that today. I no longer want to resist Him. I want to receive Him as my Lord and my Savior. And I want to follow Him from this day forward. If that's you right now, every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're watching online or if you're sitting in this room right now, if you're here today and say, Pastor Keith, today I want to receive Christ, I want you just to slip your hand up. Just a simple act of faith today, Pastor Keith, I want to pray to accept Christ. I want to pray to accept Christ. I want to escape that fiery judgment, and I want to know that Jesus is my safe place today. If that's you, you can just slip your hand up all over this room. We'd love to pray with you this morning. If you're watching online, you can hit that hand emoji. You can type in that chat box. I'm raising my hand. But God is calling out to us this morning. I want to tell you something today. Jesus died to spare us and save us from that fire of judgment. Jesus came to reestablish the kingdom and invite us into a life where we no longer die, but now that we in Christ live. So we're about to pray, and maybe you're here, you just want to slip your hand up. Pastor Keith, that's me. I want to pray to accept Christ today. I'm going to ask everybody in the room just to pray this prayer with me. If you're online, you pray this with us right now. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let's say it together. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose again on the third day. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. I receive Jesus. And I receive the gift of eternal life and brand new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise today.